0: second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love His neighbors Himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. Father, I love you. I'm thankful for this privilege that we have stand before this congregation, represent the Lord. Pray that you'd help me this morning to speak as the oracles of God, to be a blessing to your people. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for the directions you've given us in the word of God. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning to gain good, something of value from the word of God this morning. Anoint me, Lord, to be able to help your people to edify the body of Christ, to appeal to those that don't know you, Lord. We'll give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Thank the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. In my text, Jesus defines the great guiding principles of the kingdom of God. He is asked by a Jewish scribe to identify the greatest commandment in the law, the Old Testament scriptures. You see, this is what he asked him. Which is the first commandment of all? And in Christ's answer, he quoted not one, but two great commandments. He said, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, he didn't ask for the second, but the Lord gave him the second. The second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Jesus located that first and greatest commandment in the Shema. This is the scripture that pious Jews quoted twice every day in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And he located the second commandment in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. Both of these commandments come from the Old Testament. And I want to show you in this message, first of all, the importance of that question. And secondly, the implication of the answer. And thirdly, the impact on the questioner. First of all, I want you to see the importance of this question. This scribe who asked this question had been listening to Jesus respond to questions from the Pharisees and from the Sadducees. Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees had tried to catch Jesus in something that he said that they could use against him. But Jesus had confounded all of them with the wisdom of his answers. The Pharisees were trying again through this scribe who was representing them in questioning Jesus. This scribe belonged to an elite group of men who were experts in the law of God. This man had given his life to the study of the law and the teaching of the law. And for the Jews, he qualified to expand on the law by applying the law to every conceivable human situation. The scribe's had added thousands of rules to life in applying the laws of God. These oral laws were later compiled and published in 200 AD in a multi-volume project called the Mishnah. In his ministry, Jesus had addressed the fatal error by the Jews of elevating their traditions... Above the law of God. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 6, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. He said to them, Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. And he continued, Ye hypocrites, well did Esaias or Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, they honoreth me with their lips. But their heart is far from me, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, the scribal additions to the law became more important than the law of God. And this is a probably a, a danger that we all face in every generation. In his rebuke of the Pharisees in Matthew 23, Jesus indicated that the Pharisees could not distinguish between major principles and minor principles in the law of God. Obviously, there are some commands that have greater significance and greater importance than others. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23, Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cummin, little kitchen plants and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. So these people were unable to distinguish between the major principles and the minor principles of the law of God. In my text, this scribe is asking Jesus to identify the first, the most important of the commandments. What is the weightiest principle in the whole law of God? And Jesus cut to the clutter of all the Jewish traditions and scribal misinterpretations. And he identified love for God and love for our neighbor as the most important principle in the law of God. On these two commandments, Jesus declared, hang all the law and the prophets. I do not believe really that we are exempt in this 21st century from repeating the errors of the Jews in that day. It seems to be a modern problem, often that tradition trumps truth and that major principles get pushed to the background, sometimes by denominational distinctions or personal pet themes. In living out our faith, it's possible for us to substitute rules for relationship. It's possible for us to be burdened with religious duties Instead of experiencing delight in divine fellowship, you know something has happened in your spirit when you keep up the religious habit of church attendance and Bible reading and prayer and propriety and appearance. But inside you are saying, Do I have to go to church? Do I have to pray? Do I have to read my Bible? Do I have to represent Christ by my appearance? And we are often keeping up religious practice when inside of us there's no longer any pleasure in pleasing God. A spiritual tragedy unfolds as people attempt to go through the motions of a religious life without maintaining the proper foundation Of true religion. The question of the scribe is critical for everybody in this service. What is the first commandment of all? What is the most important principle in the word of God? Now I want to show you the implication of Christ's answer. Jesus had a ready answer for that scribe. And for us, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. This is the first, the most important commandment. The preface to this commandment is critical. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Monotheism, the idea that there is only one God, one supreme being who is the source of all that exists and who is sovereign over everything that exists is the consistent teaching of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. There's only one God. There can only be one eternal infinite supreme being, all mankind of every age, of every race, of every place, owes a debt of love to their creator. Only one God. So you don't have to divide your affection. There are not many gods. There are not two gods. There are not three gods. You don't have to divide your affection. There's only one God. And you're to love that one God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The intensity of that love, the way that it is described here, with all your heart, soul, with all your mind, all your strength, this love commanded here is unique in human experience. We're never commanded to love any person or thing with that intensity of love. In fact, to love anyone or anything with that intensity would be to give to that person or thing the kind of love that belongs to God alone. In his answer to the scribe, Jesus included another commandment. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He called this the second or the second in importance. And Jesus indicated by saying this that loving God was more important than loving your neighbor mm-hmm. and that the love for God was to be greater than the love for your neighbor. Right. Yes. We're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love our neighbor as ourself. Mm-hmm. Now, it follows logically that we are to love God better than we love ourselves. You know, that goes contrary to human nature. It sure goes contrary to the fallen nature, to love God better than we love ourselves. The divinely ordered life arranges our priorities like this. God first, our neighbor second, ourselves last. This order has been reversed by the curse of sin. Without a salvation experience, self is first, neighbor is second, God is on the bottom. Oh, yeah. But Jesus came to reverse that order yeah. and to make God first in our life, our neighbor second, and ourselves last. Right. It's significant that Jesus related these two commandments Because love for God and love for our neighbor go together. And we can only love our neighbor as we should if we love God as we should. All human relationships depend upon that right relationship with God. The relationships in our home, on our job, in our church, all our other relationships Amen. depend upon that relationship with God being in proper order. Yes. Only when a person is in a right relationship with God will they be able to relate in a righteous way to the people in their life. Amen. The Apostle John showed the relation between these two commandments in 1 John chapter 5, and verse 2. By this, he said, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. He also writes in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? This critical principle is enunciated by the Apostle John concerning the proof of the love for God in 1 John 5 and 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. Not to the person who loves God. Jesus said in John 14, by the way, if you don't love God, His commandments are grievous. But if you love God... You keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. They're not a burden when you love the Lord. John said in John 14 and 15, if you love me, Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. He said again in verse 23 of that same chapter, if a man love me, he will keep my words. Understand this. It is not goosebumps that prove our love for God it is consistent obedience to the Word of God that proves our love for God. It's not so much how you feel, but how you will that proves your love for God. Many who profess to love God have no intention of keeping His commandments. They deny that commandment keeping has any relevance for the New Testament Christian. And many are convinced that God doesn't care anything about deliberate disobedience of the Christian because he accepts the obedience of Christ as a substitute for our obedience. That didn't come from Christ. There are others who accept the biblical teaching that love for God... It's evidenced by obedience to God. But they don't have any desire to know what the commandments of God are. So they neglect the Word of God. They don't search the Scriptures to find out the things that please God. They're willfully ignorant of the commands of God. You'd be surprised how many people sit on church pews that couldn't name the Ten Commandments. All right, <clears throat> Not know the principles that the Lord enunciated in the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, when you love God, you want to find out what pleases God. And you want to do those things that please God when you love God. Anyone who loves God will take the time to find out what pleases God. That's going to be in the Word of God, brother. You're going to apply yourself to find out who this God is. Amen. And what pleases this God who loved you and gave himself for you. Our love for God is to be so intense that all of the loves pale in comparison. In Luke chapter 14, and verse 26, Jesus said, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters... Yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. Now it's important that we understand what Jesus meant here when he used the word hate. Jesus could not have meant that his disciples would be distinguished by a bitter, angry, hostile, vengeful attitude toward their family. That's not what Jesus meant. We are commanded to honor our parents We're commanded to love our neighbor. And there's no neighbor more important than your family. But Jesus is recognizing that those people who are the dearest to us could be a hindrance to us in following Jesus wholeheartedly. And our love for him is to exceed our love for those who are the closest and dearest to us to the extent that we are willing to sever those ties, if need be, in order to obey the call of Jesus in our life. Jesus indicated that our love for him not only must exceed our love for the dearest people in our life, but it must exceed even our love for life itself. We must love him above our own life. It's this kind of devotion that characterizes the disciple of Jesus. And it's this kind of devotion to Jesus that loved ones outside of Christ oftentimes cannot comprehend. I have close relatives that deeply resent my devotion to Jesus. They would prefer that Jesus take a backseat to family. When I was growing up, when family came from afar, visiting to our home, we all went to church at church time. If our guests elected not to go, none of us stayed home with them. They could go with us or wait till we returned. because Jesus must be first. We must love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. Then I finally want you to see the impact on the questioner. You notice that this scribe did not argue with Jesus. He acknowledged the accuracy of Christ's answer. He said to him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. He admitted That loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength was more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. And he realized that the relationship with God was more important than the ritual. And Jesus recognized that the truth had impacted this man's heart and mind. He had come face to face with the truth. And that truth had brought him to acknowledge it was true. And Jesus saw that what he said had impacted this man's heart and mind. And he said to him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. This man was poised on the point of making a move toward God. He had comprehended something. He had comprehended something he didn't know really. Are never considered. And Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. There's no record given of his conversion, but this truth had created a crisis in his life. He did not love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Religion was a ritual. It was a duty. It was a careful following of the rules. But without that personal fellowship and relationship with God. He was all about his religion, but he was not all about God. Now I'll tell you, brother and sister, we can be all about our religion without being all about God. You remember the lawyer that came to Jesus in Luke chapter 10? He asked Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus threw the question back at him what do you read in the law? This man quoted these two great commandments. Jesus said to him, this do and thou shalt live. Now the question he asked Jesus was, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus indicated to him, you quoted these commandments about the loving, loving God and loving your neighbor. Eternal life looks like that. That's what eternal life looks like. You do this, and you will live. And you remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus, and he asked the same question. What can I do to inherit eternal life? They're all looking for something to do, because this is the way the Jew thought I must do something to inherit eternal life. And Jesus quoted the commandments to him. The second table, you remember? And he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. But the Bible says that Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, One thing thou lackest. Now, I've heard that preached through the years as if... A person is not absolutely perfect. They cannot go to heaven. That is not what Jesus was saying. If that is true, none of us will ever go. But when Jesus said, One thing thou lackest, He lacked the essential thing in order to go to heaven. Jesus loved him, but he didn't love Jesus. This was the problem, brother. He loved his wealth. He loved his possessions. And Jesus put the question to him. And he said, you go sell all you've got and give to the poor and come follow me. Because Jesus knew that what was standing in his way was his wealth. It was keeping him from a relationship with God and I'm telling you, brother, this is the one thing we must have in our life. We must love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus had a message for Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He spelled out the good things about that church. And really, you know... I would have thought that is a magnificent church. But Jesus looked beneath the surface and Jesus said, I've got something against you because you have left your first love. And that that didn't mean that it leaked out of them. They walked away from their first love. They abandoned their first love. They no longer love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They were going through the rituals, they were going through the religion without a relationship that like they started with, hey? Like they started with. They didn't have the same kind of love for God and, and the same kind of love for one another as they started with. You know, oh my. we don't want to end with less than we started with. Praise God. Oh, yeah, we want that same love burning in our heart, in our soul for God. When I I got saved, it seemed to me God couldn't ask too much of me. Whatever whatever God wanted me to do, I was ready to do it. I wanted to please God. I wanted God to be pleased with me above everything. Praise God. And I wonder, is it still that way in our hearts and lives? That we love him to the point that whatever God wants, we are willing to do to please the Lord. There was a man in my church, came for years, he backslid, he's backslid now. And he came back to the Lord one day or went to the altar and prayed, and he got up and testified, and he said, there was a time in my life when I was all about God but he's not all about God anymore. and I wonder if there are those sitting here that could say there was a time in my life when I was all about God, but I'm not all about God now. You know, there's a problem in the American church. The problem is people who claim to love God without obeying God. That's a problem. There are people who once loved God but who no longer exhibit that love that once characterized their life. And there are people who claim to love God but have little or nothing to do with the people of God. But you cannot love God without loving His people. There's nobody going to heaven who does not love the bride of Christ. Amen. If you love God, you'll love his bride. Yes. And nobody's going to heaven who doesn't love the people of God. Yes. When, you, when, you go, when you pass from this world to the next, you are going to go to be with your people. Yes. Whoever your people are. When Abraham died, he was gathered to his people. When Ishmael died, he was gathered to his people. And I'm not sure they all went to the same people. But brother, when you die, you're going to the people you chose in life. Amen. If you love God, you love the people of God. This is one thing that makes heaven so precious. And if we're going to see Jesus, but we're going to get to see the saints of God God. And- that we worshiped with and we loved them and, and fellowship with them, and, and we're gonna fellowship for all eternity. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The love of God will cause you to love the people of God. People, there's a problem, brother. There's a problem when we say we love God and we don't love the people of God. And I'll tell you something, brother. It don't matter whether they're part of my fellowship or not. It don't matter whether they're part of my denomination or not. It don't matter, brother. I'm telling you, if they belong to God, they belong to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Praise God. If they're born again of the spirit of God, it don't matter what kind of name they carry. Praise God. When I get to heaven, somebody said, uh, you know, when you get to heaven, this guy, it was just a fable i guess this guy said he went to heaven and asked saint peter at the gate said uh, want to know where the where the baptists were maybe he said well you know there's a door down the way here and so he went walking down through there and there was a door for the presbyterians and there was a door for the pentecostals and there was a door for the episcopalians and finally got to the door for the baptists and he opened the door and walked in and there were no partitions I don't believe there's gonna be any in heaven, do you? <laughs> yeah. hey, come on! Come on. Amen. If you belong to Jesus and I belong to Jesus, praise God! Oh, heaven belongs to us! Praise Amen. God! Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah! Woo. It's a problem when people who hope to have heaven without loving God. Come on, come on, I'm telling you now oh, man, that there's a multitude of people right around this church. Oh. Who are hoping to have heaven without loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? There may be people sitting on our pews that are hoping to have heaven without loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said, "This is what eternal life looks like: loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength; loving your neighbor as yourself." I want to know one thing. How do I get this love? Amen. Oh, hallelujah. I want to know how do I get this love? If this is essential, if this is that important, how do I get this love? I'll tell you how, brother. If you've ever had it, you can get it again. And, and, and God told, or Jesus told uh, Ephesus what to do. He said, Repent. Repent because you walked away from that. Repent because you abandoned that. Repent because you lost your first love. Repentance is demanded. you know the New Testament never uses the word revival? But it does use the word repentance. Amen. To the people of God, this is what revival consists of. Revival consists of repenting of what we've lost, repenting because we haven't been what we should have been. This is what revival consists of. And the Lord said to to Ephesus, you repent because you've left your first love. Brother, the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6, the Lord God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God With all thine heart, with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. Hey, I tell you what we ought to pray for. Lord, circumcise my heart. It is the heart that has to be fixed, brother the heart has to be fixed and God will circumcise our hearts and there's a sanctifying portion in the blood of Jesus and God forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from that nature that pulls us down and tries to alienate us from Christ and God will sanctify our hearts and and help us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength and this new birth that God has provided for us takes out of us that in against God and makes us at peace with God and gives us a love for God and perfects that love in us I'm telling you the sanctifying grace of God perfects that love in us and, yeah. and makes us people that love God and everybody knows it hallelujah everybody that knows us knows that we love God yeah. hallelujah yeah. Praise the, Lord. the Bible tells us that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given Amen. unto us. And I want to wind up here, but I, some years ago I read uh, after somebody that they threw us another light on that scripture for me. I can't remember who it was, but I'd always thought that that scripture meant that the Holy Ghost gave me the love of God. And I still believe that. But he does more than that. The Holy Ghost testifies to me of God's love for me. So he pours out in me a knowledge of God's love for me. This is one thing that happens to us in conviction of sin. Now, if if God just showed me my sin without showing me that there's forgiveness for my sin, I'd never be saved. Mm Nobody would ever be saved. We just die in despair. But but the Holy Ghost comes not just to testify about the seriousness of your sin, but he comes to testify to you that God loves you in spite of your sin, that Jesus died for you even while you were a sinner, and that you don't have to die in despair, that you can be forgiven of your sins. And so he testifies to us of the love of God. But he doesn't just testify to us of the love of God. And that's important because we love him, as I told you yesterday, because he first loved us. So the Holy Ghost makes us aware of the fact that God loves us and, and kindles in us a love for God. He sheds abroad in our hearts the love of God. And that word shed abroad, it, it means an outpouring, a gushing of the love of God in us. This is what the Holy Ghost does for us, brethren. He fills us with the knowledge of God's love and fills us with the love of God so that we love God with all of our heart and we love our neighbors ourselves. This is what true religion's about. Hey, glory to God. Amen. We can be religious without relationship. Die and go to hell off of church pews. But you will never go to hell loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength.